Um, what I want to do this morning, we're going to be carrying on with our Thank God It's Monday series. We've got a guest coming to speak with us. Let me just introduce him to you. Some of you will know him. Uh, Scott and his wife Emma um, have been friends of mine and Melanie now for, I was trying to work it out, Scott. Years, numbers of years. It got yeah, ten years. It got a bit big, and so I just I, it got vague. Uh, we knew each other pre-children and several churches ago, um, but God called Scott and Emma out of the church we were based in in Cambridgeshire at the time to go and plant a church in the town of Biggleswade, uh, which was nearby in Bedfordshire. We then moved on to another church. God called us on. Then God called Scott and Emma up to Leicester not too far from here, to plant Mosaic Church, which they're busy doing now. Um, along the way, they had children. And the same for us. We got pulled to plant a church here in Sutton Coalfield. Along the way, we had children too. But we've kept in contact, kept our relationship up with them. We love these guys. Um, Scott's going to come and speak to us now, and he's going to be a real blessing to us. So I'd love us to welcome him now. Can you give him a clap, please, as he comes to get ready? Good morning. I feel like you've arrived in the 21st century because um, apparently I'm the first person to preach from a tablet, so uh, I, I don't use paper at all for anything anymore. I use technology. Um, it's just great to be here. Uh, we love Mel and Stu. We love lots of others of you as well who we've got to know over the years. And uh, what Stu's asked me to do at the beginning before I get into the main text of what I'm going to talk about is um, just share a little bit about my work journey but also a little bit about Mosaic. Uh, we started Mosaic around about the same time as you guys started Real Life. Uh, we started with... Well, the original team was myself, Emma, uh, two children then, we now have three, um, and a couple called Richard and Rachel, and that was really the team. Uh, we had a few others who were supposed to be moving who, for various reasons, jobs and various other things, didn't make it. And we, we started with a heart to build a church that reflects Ephesians, which is the manifold wisdom of God, a multicolored, multi-social church. And so we've started doing a lot of um, work with the poor because we, we work in one of the, we live in one of the poorest wards in the East Midlands. It's, it's in the top three, where about 70% of children live in homes that are considered to be in poverty. So we've started work there. We, we started a, a food bank to reach out to people. We, we do a free toddler group, which is the busiest in Leicester. Um, and we're starting to see people saved from both of those things. It's an amazing thing we're seeing. Uh, we moved venue in September, and we've seen quadruple the number of first-time visitors that we saw in the previous year since we moved venue. So we're a bit, in, a bit encouraged by that. Um, and God's doing some amazing things. I'd love to tell you more, but to be honest, I want to preach God's word to you because that's, that's my heart. Uh, but we're doing, seeing some great things. We've seen, we've seen one lady who... We reached through Food Bank. And I'm going to share something that may seem inappropriate, but she's okay with me sharing it. The first conversation I had with her was, was this. She said, do you think Jesus will forgive me if I go out and sell myself as a prostitute tonight because I've got no money? I don't know about you, but that feels like the sort of conversation that Jesus had. And so they're the sort of people we're reaching. It's really challenging, amazing difficulties, but people's hearts are so open to Jesus. So just pray for us, continue to pray for us, those of you who know us, and you know, we are seeing God's grace on us in amazing ways. So I just want to pray before I start, just because you know, it will help focus us. Jesus, I thank you that you are everything we need. I pray for each one of us here this morning that you'll come and you'll speak to us, 
You'll come and you'll open up our eyes to what you want to say to us. Open up our hearts to your wonderful grace towards us. I pray, Jesus, this will be a moment of encounter this morning. A moment where the risen Jesus is incredibly real to us and takes us forward. We just ask this for your sake, Jesus. Amen. So my work history, this is going to be an interesting journey for you, okay? Uh, My first job was when I was uh, uh, 13. I was a paper boy. uh, And uh, I used to have a round that I used to do every morning. uh, And it used to encourage me to be late for school every single morning because it just took forever. uh, And so I did that for about a year. Then after that year, the next job I had was I worked in a, a, green, a greengrocer's across the road from our house. We lived on a very busy road, similar to Sutton Road, uh, and we lived on there. And there was a greengrocer's directly opposite where my best friend's parents were running the greengrocer's, and I helped out there for a couple of years, just doing odd jobs, working on Saturdays. At 14, that was. Then at 16, I moved down the parade of shops to, to a chip shop where I then became the the, the chipper and the peeler of potatoes. So I did that for about a year. And then I I fell out of love with school because I was a bit of an alcoholic and a bit of a mess. Uh, And so I then got kicked out of school at 17 when I was supposed to be doing my A-levels, and I had to find a job. Uh, As a a messed-up man, that was quite a challenge. And so at 17, I started working for a company called Hertz Leasing, who some of you will have heard of, you'll have heard of Hertz Car Rentals, but I worked for Hertz Leasing in their accounts team, doing, learning about accounts, because the one thing I'm very good at academically is maths. I literally, problems put in front of me and it just numbers stick. I can remember every phone number pretty much I've ever dialed in my life. I've just got that sort of memory. So I worked for a company called Hertz Leasing doing accounts. Then two years later, I'm going to have to try and look at this to remember it all because it's a bit complicated. Uh, then at 19, I started working for a company called Cable & Wireless, who are a phone and uh, broadband provider now, but I worked for them in their, uh, in their accounts team uh, and was starting to become quite interested in accounts. And then what happened was I then moved, after four years there, I moved to a company called KPMG, who some of you may have heard of. They're a very large accountancy firm. I, I worked for them in the centre of London uh, for about two years, And that's an interesting place to work. I may unpack some of that during the morning. After two years and no sleep and no social life and no church life, I decided actually this isn't really a place I want to be particularly. So I then took a huge career path change and I started working for a digital marketing agency in a place called Richmond. I'm from London, just in case I haven't mentioned that. And so I worked for a digital marketing agency in Richmond for two years. Enjoyed that massively. But but actually, around about that time, I had massive amounts of stress, which hopefully will help me talk on my subject this morning, work and stress. And I decided that I needed to go for something that was a little bit less stressful for me. So I then moved to a company called Agfa. Some of you may have heard of them. They're the film and photographic company, but also they do big printing presses that every single newspaper in the country pretty much is printed on. Um, And I started there as a temp. It was supposed to just keep me going until I got my, my head back together and I, want, I could handle stress for something else. And what happened within a week was they offered me a permanent job. A couple of months later, they offered me a promotion. And a couple of months later, they offered me another promotion. So eventually, I was managing a team of about 30 to 40 people within about a year uh, from not wanting a stressful job. Um, 
But again, I'll unpack some of that later as well. Then at the age, this is all packed into about 16 years, I then acquired another large career change where I became the director of a youth charity, a Christian youth charity. I was, I'd been feeling God calling me towards this thing and then suddenly it became an option. That's when I moved to St. Neots and met Stuart because their head office moved to St. Neots. So I was director of a youth charity for about two years, uh, took them through a huge change management program because basically they were a youth charity that stagnated and they needed some really large changes made to the organisation. And I have to tell you, that was a crazy time, going around and telling people, the way you've done things for the last 80 years won't work now, you need to change to this, was quite a lot of fun, really, because suddenly people were standing up and screaming at you, telling you that you were the devil and things like that. Um, so that was another stressful moment in my work career. Then after about 18 months... Stuart and the rest of the eldership team at the church in St. Neots asked me if I'd like to go and plant a church in Biggleswade, at which point I said, no, I wouldn't like to, thank you very much. Uh, and then God started speaking and told me to go. And that's when I became part of a church leadership full-time. So that was nine years ago. So nine years ago, I started leading churches full-time. And then... Two years ago, because of the sort of church we're building in Leicester, the finances just weren't kicking into place to enable me to be full-time. So what I did then was I went bivocational. I work two days a week for the church, and I work three days a week in the the workplace. And I worked for a a company originally that were in the legal services industry as their marketing manager, uh, which pulls back my marketing head from many, many years ago. Um, they encountered some rather large financial problems to the point where they couldn't pay me for three months. So actually working from them wasn't really a huge blessing. Um, And so a year ago, I started working for a a digital website agency as their sales and marketing uh, guy. So I've got a lot of experience. And I have to tell you, most of the way along that path, when I've tried to avoid stressful jobs, what's happened is I've usually been promoted to a point where suddenly stress starts kicking in. I understand stress. I want to ask you a question. Do you understand stress? How many of you have ever encountered stress? You have to put your hands up. I think some of you are lying. I want to tell you something. Oh, yeah, also, I'm a father of three, husband of one. At the same time, I'm also part of the management team for a local neighborhood center in Leicester. So I've, I've got a lot going on. And so hopefully I understand this. Just want to tell you some stats, which hopefully will come up. Hopefully you'll be able to see them in a second. 10 to 13 million days, work days, are lost due to stress every single year, depending on the source. Some say 10 million, some say 13. That figure's going up all the time. The reality is this is a big, big problem. According to a survey that was done two years ago by Premier Christian Radio, 92% of Christians feel stress at work. This is just Christians. 92% of Christians feel stress at work, whether that be work in the marketplace, work in church leadership, because you maybe think that Stuart doesn't have a tough job, but I tell you, leading a church is tough, uh, and there are challenges that you just don't understand. Or being a full-time parent. I'm married to a woman who stays at home to look after our children. I have to tell you, she would tell you it's the most stressful thing she's ever done. She used to be a head of music in a secondary school. And she tells you that bringing up children is the most stressful thing that she's ever done. 
of Christians say they are stressed most of the time at work. So in other words, if we look around this room, how many of us are there? That means about half of you, if we're an average congregation, are stressed at work all of the time. I don't know if that encourages you. But the reality is it's a real thing. And if we believe that those stats are true, which I do, because I've been around work enough over 26 years now since I started work, full-time work, then surely the Bible has something to say about this that's going to be helpful for us. That's what we'd hope, anyway. And so this morning, my plan is this. I'm going to unpack some, a situation where Jesus is facing stress and how he handled stress. I'm going to share some stories of mine to try and help you, help you along the path. And then, at the end, what we're going to do is we're going to encounter God together. Does that sound like that's a good plan? Well, I'm glad you all said yes, because we were going to do it anyway. If you've got your Bibles, could you turn to Luke chapter 22? When, I was, uh, when Stuart phoned me and asked me if I would uh, come and speak on work and stress, my instant response was, oh, do I have to? I didn't tell Stuart this, but my instant response was, do I really have to? Because my passion is to speak about Jesus. That's, that's what I'm really passionate about. And my instant response was, oh, I'm not sure how I'm going to get to unpack a passage about, all about Jesus on the morning. So I did what every good preacher does, ignores the brief and starts trying to prepare something himself. And then Jesus literally one morning woke me up and said, Scott, read Luke 22. So I was like, okay. And this is the passage we're going to look at. And it's so helpful. It's so helpful. So Luke 22, verses 39 onwards. And he came out and went, he is Jesus, obviously, and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives. And the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. And and he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat became like great drops of blood, falling down to the ground. And when he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, Why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation." A story you've mostly all heard read to you at least five, ten times in your Christian life if you've been a Christian longer than 20 minutes. It's a profound passage. I'd imagine mostly none of you have heard it preached as an as a aid to stress. But what I want to do this morning is just draw out some illustrations in Jesus' life and how he handles, handles stress and hopefully help them apply them into your life. I have five points to make so you know when I'm coming towards the end. The first one is not actually from the passage, but it's really important that you get hold of this. The first one is this, that Jesus is our great high priest who understands. He is our great high priest who understands. We find this in Hebrews chapter 4. 
Since then we have a great high priest who passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to find help in time of need. The first thing I want to draw out of that bit is that Jesus understands what we're going through. How do we know he understands when we're stressed? Well, look at the Garden of Gethsemane, the first passage we read. Does Jesus look like he might perhaps be a man who is suffering with stress? Anyone? Is he suffering with stress? Here he is in the garden, sweating drops of blood. Now, guys, I hate to tell you that. That is not the, that is not the behavior and the things that should be happening to a normal, placid, happy person. You know, when you're walking down the street pushing your buggy and you're singing a lullaby to your child, the reality is you're most probably not sweating drops of blood. What he's displaying here is huge, huge levels of stress. Jesus understands when we are stressed because he's been there. The second thing I want to draw out, and this is really important, now maybe this church doesn't do this, but I've been in lots of churches where you you have to pretend you're not stressed because everyone else's life is just serene and perfect and if you walk in and say you're stressed everyone's going to go what sort of Christian are you? This is important. Put it up next. Next point. Yet Jesus is without sin it tells us in that passage Hebrews 4. Why is that important? Because the conclusion you get from that is that to be stressed is not sinful. To be stressed is not sinful, guys. Some of you have been taught you mustn't bring your stress here. You must pretend it's okay. And what we do is we compartmentalize our lives and we live stressed at work. And when we get to church, we go, yeah, I'm okay, it's fine. It's no problem. Oh, yeah, I'm busy, but that's all right. And on the inside, we're going, I'm dying. Everything is just too much. I've got to have somewhere to vent and let that out. Guys, I want to tell you this morning, if you experience any level of stress, it's okay, it's not sin. So this morning is an example. I'm obsessive about being early, just so you know. I'm obsessive, my wife is less obsessive. So it makes a a challenge. So the aim was to leave for 9 o'clock this morning so we'd be early, because I always want to be here at 10 o'clock if the meeting starts starts at 10.30. At 20 past nine, Em's coming down the stairs, vaguely looking for her boots and wondering where they are. I've got the kids in the car. We're ready to go. So we leave about 22 minutes past nine. We drive along. We're coming up to the thing called the M69. Some of you may have heard of it. It's a motorway. It's the, the road you're going to use to come across. Okay? I'd seen a sign on Friday saying, M69 closed in the, the night times of this weekend. As I'm pulling up to the M69, I suddenly see, oh no, it's closed all weekend. And my diversion is I've got to go left and down towards London. At this moment, I'm late. I'm going the wrong direction for an appointment that I must keep, which is my workplace, because I'm coming here to work this morning and, and serve you and love you. And my instant response is, oh, for goodness sake, what's going on? 
feel, isn't it? It's stress. That moment, I want to be on time. I want to bless Stuart. I don't want to rock up at 11 o'clock knowing that the preacher goes first here. Most other churches, I'd have a bit of leeway, wouldn't I? And so that moment, I'm having a conversation with Jesus, saying, saying, Jesus, I am a little stressed about this. But you know what helps me is the fact that I know that that isn't sinful, and he understands. So I don't know what stresses you're facing at the moment, but the first thing you need to remember is that it's not sinful, and he understands. What else do we see? Click on, I think there's one more. Conclusion, keep going, keep going, keep going. He's praying for us when we're stressed. I don't know about you, but that changes a lot of things. When I'm stressed, Hebrews 4 tells me, not only is it okay because Jesus understands, it's okay because it's not sinful, but it's okay because the one who loves me with an everlasting love is interceding on my behalf to the Father. Guys, I could mostly stop there. But I want to give you some practical tools. You need to get that into your psyche because some of you live with stress and then you turn up at church and you go, no, I'm all right. Hallelujah, Jesus, it's all okay. And you know what he's saying? He's saying, be real with me. Tell the person next to you that you're struggling. So the first point is that. He understands when you're tempted. How many of you as parents have ever sat there and been tempted to think, my, parents are going to, my kids are going to turn out to be an absolute nightmare because I'm an absolute nightmare. You ever had that moment? Or is it just me? Uh, you know, I have. You know, suddenly I'm thinking, I'm going to put all of my insecurities onto them, all of my challenges. And there's a temptation to think that. Or there's a temptation at work to think, I can't possibly achieve all I've got to achieve. Or there's a temptation to think, oh, I'm not going to be able to get through this situation. It's just not possible. Guys, whenever we're tempted to get stressed, whenever we're facing these things, what do we need to remember? He understands. That's not sinful. He's praying for us. So what can we learn from the way he handles stress in the Garden of Gethsemane? Turn back to Luke 22 if if you've moved away from there. I hope you agree that that Luke 22 is a sign of Jesus being stressed. Are we all in agreement? Otherwise I'll hang there for a while. Good. What do we see? What's his first response? I'm actually not going to unpack this one, so it's not going to come up there. His first response is he involves friends. He takes his friends along. Now, as a church, I know Mel and Stu well enough to know that as a church, your small groups and those environments are going to be in place. But the reality is, if you're stressed, involve friends. Get friends involved. Talk to them. Get them involved in the process. I'm not going to unpack that one, because to be honest, that's just a given, I, I want to say. Jesus involves his friends. He brings them along. He's in a circle. So what's the next thing we see? We see this. He prays. Just so you know, there's no rocket science in what I'm going to say this morning, so don't expect any blinding flashes apart from maybe the Holy Spirit illuminating something for you. He prays. Here is Jesus, the eternal Son of God, facing a moment of great stress, stress that I'd imagine none of us have ever had to even remotely get close to, because unless you've had to face up to the fact the next day you're dying on the cross to pay the penalty for the sins of the whole world, we don't quite get it, do we? Here's Jesus in his moment of great anxiety. What does he do? He talks to his father. He comes and he talks to his father. He prays. 
He comes and is very real about the situation. What's he saying? Is there another way? I don't know if you've ever been in a work situation where you're sat there and going, is there another way? Because I have. Here's Jesus talking to his father about the situation. He's having a conversation. He's helping us understand that the first point when we are stressed, this may not be very practical for you in the moment of stress in your workplace, but I'll tell you what, it'll be the most helpful thing you can ever do is pray. Talk to your Father in heaven who loves you with an everlasting love about the situation. See, what Jesus is doing here is he's modelling a life of prayer to us. He's modelling how we cope with life in everyday situations. Remember, Scripture tells us that Jesus is our example. He is our example in life. When we're looking to how should I deal in life, he's our example. So when he faces a stressful situation, he prays. When he's tired, what does he do? He steps away and he falls asleep in the boat. Do you know what? Some of us are are so fixated and thinking we've got to do this. We've just got to learn from him. When we're stressed, what we do, we come and pray. We come and pray. He's modelling a life for us. He's praying at a time of enormous stress. How many of you have ever been in a time of enormous stress where you're thinking, I can't stop, I've just got to keep going? I'm sure some of you who went through university remember those times where you've got a deadline for the next morning and you're having to pull an all-nighter, you know? I had one recently. As I told you, at the beginning of the year, I started working for a, a web design agency. And I, I'm, I, I'm, I'm, I'm the sales team. I am the sales team. And so I'm, I'm targeted to make sales. Across the summer, it was particularly slow. It's no surprise. That's what happens across the summer. But we reached the point where we were looking, going, this, this, these sales aren't as what they need to be. So at the beginning of... September, I had a conversation with the MD and we both agreed, actually, look, this month's a big month. We need to hit this target. Otherwise, on the 1st of October, you don't have a job, Scott. So, as the month's going on, no sales are appearing. And I'm looking going, oh, gosh. M knows this is coming. I have to tell you, M's getting stressed. I'm getting a little bit, well, a bit anxious. And then what happened halfway through the month was I did this. I phoned my boss, who actually is also my brother-in-law, and he's also a Christian, and I said this. I said, just so you know, I'm going to take the morning out today, and I'm going to pray. And that's a good place to be able to get to. So I said to him, was, do you know what? I can't work any harder than I have been. I was working 13, 14, 15-hour days trying to make things happen. And I reached a place where I just said, I need a morning out. So I took a morning out, and I prayed. And you know all Jesus said to me? This is really important that you learn this because it's what he'll say to you whenever you pray about stress, just so you know. He said, just trust me, Scott. Have any of you ever heard that when you've prayed about stressful things? Was it just me? He said, just trust me. But I didn't listen first time, so I went back to him with the same problems and this, this went, lasted about three hours and his response after five minutes was, trust me. And and I prayed and prayed and he kept on saying, trust me. Now, as the month went on, it was getting hairier and hairier 
a sale came in which got me halfway to the target. But I'm going, Jesus said, trust me. It's okay. M is saying, are you sure? He said, trust you. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. And, and her mum and dad are getting a bit stressed. The brother's getting stressed. Everyone else is getting stressed. And I'm saying, I feel okay about it. I've prayed about it. I feel okay. You, maybe you should all pray about it and it'll be fine as well. The last day of the month, which is the 30th of September, my official deadline is 5 p.m. At five minutes to five on the 30th, I'm having a conversation with someone I've been speaking to for five months about signing up to get us to design their website. She says, yeah, yeah, I want to go for it. I'm sending the form across now. I tell everyone, look, it's on its way. I think it eventually came through at 9.30 that night. Do you know what Jesus was teaching me there? Just trust me. Come to me, give it to me, and trust me. Guys, do you know that's not easy? Because there was me in the midst of that going, the next day, I've got no salary for that half of my job. I've got three children that I've got to keep in a house and a wife who have expensive tastes. And so I'm there going, oh, Jesus, you know, I know you're saying trust me, but did you have to leave it to the last second like that? Do you know what it taught me more than anything? This conversation with my father. We've got to get better at communing with the father. Just click on a tiny bit more. There's a really helpful quote here from a chap called Oswald Chambers. If you can ever read anything by Oswald Chambers, you'll be provoked, stirred, encouraged, and helped enormously. I love reading lots of the older, older Christians, and I love reading stuff by Calvin and Luther and all sorts of ancient Christians who are long gone, but they speak and help me massively. It says this, We have to pray with our eyes on God, not on the difficulties. That's profound. How many of you, when you pray, go, Jesus, this is the problem, this is the problem, this is the problem, look at it, it's this, and I'll look at it from this angle, and this angle, and this angle, and just in case you didn't know Jesus, there's this problem as well, and look at this coming from here. And all we're doing is we're saying, this problem is so big that you can't possibly deal with it. And what Oswald Chambers is teaching us, and Jesus is teaching us, is that we need to look at the magnificence of God, and then, do you know what? Our problems pale into insignificance. That's not to say they're not real, but suddenly we see Jesus, we see the magnificence of the Father, and we go, wow, of course he can deal with this. Here is Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, about to be arrested and crucified, hung on a cross for you and for me, to take the penalty for our sin. He's sweating drops of blood. And what does he say to the Father? Is there another way? Now, we don't actually get the Father's response, but by Jesus' next words, I think we know what his response was. Not my will, but yours. The Father's saying, it's okay. It's okay, Jesus. Just keep going. It's okay. So the first thing is prayer. The next thing is right thinking. Right thinking. Click on if you could, Charlie. That'd be great. Right thinking. The danger is, when we're stressed... Do you know what the first thing to go out of our, my head is usually? Rational thought. So my instant response when I saw the sign for the M69 close this morning was, it's going to take me five hours to get there. 
because the roads are going to be a nightmare. It's Sunday morning, nobody's on the road. Most sensible people in the world are asleep. But my instant response, because I know what it's like to commute and travel on the motorways a lot, is it's going to take me forever. We better phone Mel and say you have to start the meeting at three. Right thinking goes out the window, doesn't it? Have you ever been like that? When your child is being an absolute nightmare at home, your right thinking is, they're going to be arrested by the time they're 15. No, that's it. I've I've made them in such a mess, by 15 they're going to be in prison. And it's all my fault. Guys, when we face up to stress, you know what we've got to do? We've got to train our mind to think right. We've got to train our mind to, to understand that just because the situation is bad does not mean it's going to get worse. Just because the situation is bad does not mean that the worst possible outcome is the guaranteed outcome. You see, at 10.30 on that last day of that month, in the morning, M, her brother, and her mum and dad, who were all from the same gene pool and all quite good at getting stressed, were all saying, it's going to end horribly. My right thinking was, Jesus has promised me it'll be okay. Now, it was going against everything else that was going on around me. The storm was saying, it's not going to be okay, Scott. You're in denial. Tomorrow morning, you're not going to have a salary. Your family are going to be kicked out by the end of the month. You're going to be taken to prison because you're going to go bankrupt. And all of those things could have been going on, but instead, in my head, I was thinking, right. And what I want to do is just give you some things to help you. This is quite reasonably practical. So some things to help you and to remind yourselves. Next, first one is this. You can't do everything. The danger is when you're in a stressful situation, what you think is, what I think, because I was brought up in a home where my dad, when I was growing up, had five jobs at a time usually. I don't know when he slept. I have no idea because he worked at night. He worked during the day. He always seemed to be working to provide for us. His motto was you just work, 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 and work. Guys, I want to tell you, that's really caused me immense pain in my life. Because actually, there are times when you just have to say, I can't do everything. There's a quote here which I love from a chap called Warren Buffett, who's, a, who's an entrepreneur and a very, very, very successful businessman. Look him up on Google or Wikipedia, because Wikipedia is the fount of all knowledge, isn't it? Um, but it will tell you. It says this, No matter how great the talent or effort, some things just take time. You can't produce a baby in one month by getting nine women pregnant. (laughs) It's true, isn't it? We know that to be true. That's just a natural course of time. And you can't do everything. Guys, if you get that into your psyche, if I get that into my psyche, do you know what happens is suddenly stress starts to go. It's like, wow, that's just a natural timing. It's like a sale, okay? One of the things that you learn when you're in any sort of sales is there's a natural course that a sale has to take. You don't just, there's very few people, you phone them and say, hi, I'm from a web design agency. Your website's terrible. Ours are amazing. They cost a lot of money, but you'd really like it. Would you like to sign today? And they go, oh, yes, please. The reality is there's a process that everyone has to go through. It takes time. It doesn't just suddenly happen. There's no one I phoned and said, would you like to spend £6,000 of us? And gone, I'd love to. I didn't want to sign when I woke up this morning, but I do now. There's a timing to everything. And you can't do everything, and we can't make time that's not there. Guys, 
It's not natural for you to work every hour of the day. So don't do it. How many of you who've worked long hours think you are really productive at the end of the day? It's rubbish, isn't it? You're not. When I was working for KPMG and I was arriving at at my office, which was an hour's commute from my home on the tube, and I was arriving at 7 a.m. in the morning, and when I was leaving there somewhere between 8 and 9 at night for my hour's commute home, I have to tell you, my last four or five hours were the least productive time of the day. I'm just glad I didn't have a thing called Facebook at that point because that's all I would have been doing for those last four or five hours at my desk trying to pretend I'm busy. Actually, what happens is when you find a way to say, I just need to be productive and step back and realize I can't do everything, I've found you become more productive. And do you know what happens is stress levels begin to go down a bit as well. Do you know why? Because you're home in time to see your wife or you're home in time to see your children. I have to tell you, the greatest stress relief for me is seeing Em and my three kids. Because, you know, as soon as I arrive even in the house, if I've been out working or down from where I've been working, they just bundle me. You know, my two pretty princesses bundle me and want to play fight with me. And Charlie's trying to join in now as a 10-month-old who thinks he's three. Um, And it de-stresses me. It helps massively. But it's understanding, right thinking, I can't do everything. There's just a natural timing to these things. It's accepting that. Do you know that's hard at times? How many of you here are managers and manage people? Anyone here? It's really important that as managers we learn to help manage our staff's stress. So when I was working for AGFA, as I said to you, I was promoted really quickly to a place suddenly I was leading this team that for a company I didn't really want to work for, in a job I didn't really want to do, I was in charge of customer service for this huge, huge, huge product and and when I was promoted, we, we put someone else into my job because we thought, they'll, they'll really cope. Within about a week, it was obvious, actually, it was way too stressful for them. So instead of doing what, what my, my manager was telling me to do, which was sack them, because he was a cockney, sack them. Do you know what I did? I put someone else alongside them and said, actually, we're going to manage your stress. We're gonna, they're going to take half of your role. They're going to help you, help you get up to speed. Within six months, that person helped them so much they were up to speed fully. But I helped manage their stress levels because actually what I didn't want was them to leave. So as a manager, I just think it's really important we help manage other people's stress sometimes. Because the reality is if we're putting targets and saying you must do, you must do, you must do, all they say is I must work as hard as I can and longer. But right thinking is, you know, we can't do everything. Other right thinking is thinking theologically. Thinking theologically. Some things to remind yourself of in this. Click on one more, that'd be great. Remind yourself of truth. See, when you're in the midst of stress, what happens is you forget truth. It's not just me, I know this for a fact. So on the, in that month that I've just talked about, do you know what my instant thought was as, I, as we were coming towards that month is, I've got to provide for my family. Anyone else ever been in that position? I just want to tell you a bit of truth that will hopefully help you. Click on one more. Genesis 22:14. Who knows the story in Genesis 22? A story where Abraham and Sarah have been waiting for a son, been waiting for a child, 
And then suddenly, God comes to Abraham and says, do you know what I'd like you to do? I'd like you to take your son and sacrifice him, please. Don't know about you, but that sounds like a stressful moment. And as Abraham obediently walks along the path, heading towards the place where he's going to sacrifice his son, suddenly, out of nowhere, God speaks. And he says this, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of this place, The Lord Will Provide. As it is said to this day, On the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. Guys, do you know it's really important that we understand however hard we work, it's God who provides. It's God who provides. You see, the reality is, it's not just down to you working hard. Because even the job you have that you're working hard is, is a provision from him. And the other moments where lots of you, most of you have had these moments as well, I'm sure, where you've worked really hard, where you've been really struggling to make ends meet, and you know what? Just suddenly, a gift drops through your door for £500, which is the exact amount you need at that moment. I can tell you that because we've had it multiple times. That doesn't mean don't work hard. It's it's understanding and thinking theologically that actually, do you know what? He's the one that provides. Yes, I work hard. Yes, I'm excellent. Yes, I'm this. Yes, I'm that. But actually, it's him that provides. You see, Abraham understood that at the end of this journey. I want to ask you, do you understand that? See, when stress kicks in, what it's usually saying is, I haven't got full control of this situation. I can't make everything happen. And you know, you're right, you can't. It's him that provides. The next one is this. In Judges 6, it says, Yahweh is peace. We don't have time to look at all these references because I'm already pretty much up to time where I should have stopped, um, which is no surprise. Um, Yahweh is peace. See, in the midst of a stressful situation, do you know what you need to know? that he is the one who brings peace into any situation. There was no logic to me being peaceful in September at all. No logic. But I have to tell you, every time someone spoke to me, I'd just go, yeah, I feel so peaceful about it. It's fine. It's going to work out. It's not a problem. Why? Because God was with me in the midst of the situation, saying, I'm your peace. Next one is Ezekiel, where it tells about us that Yahweh is there. I'm not going to unpack all of these for you. They're just truths that you need to remember. That when you're in the midst of a situation, isn't it incredible that the God of heaven is with you? The God of heaven is with you in the midst of the situation. Whatever it is, however stressed you are, however much you feel isolated, the truth of God is, I am there with you. What does he say? He says, I will never leave you or forsake you, declares the Lord. How many of you have ever felt stressed, alone, and like God's abandoned you? Anyone? I'll just be honest, I have. Do you know what you need to know at that point? Yahweh is there. He's there with you. We have to think right and remind ourselves of truth. Do you know what happens when we remind ourselves of truth? It suddenly becomes reality. 
understanding. And apologies to anyone who's listening online who's just been deafened. Um, we need to remind ourselves of truth because then what happens is it becomes our reality. The reality is if we are in a situation where we're saying, God, you're not here, do you know what you're actually doing? You're saying he's a liar. Because he declares, I never leave you. I'm there with you all the time. And is it any wonder at that moment that we might be grieving him a little bit? And he's, he's not as close as we want him to be. The reality is, guys, I'm not talking about positive mental attitude here. I'm talking about right theological thinking. In the midst of a stress, you know what you need to understand is he's here with you. He provides. He's our peace. Next one is this. Exodus 15. Yahweh is my strength and my song. God is my strength and my song. Um, this is what, Exodus 15 is one of my favorite passages in the Bible. It's where the, the, the people of Israel have just literally crossed the Red Sea. And what they do is they sing this song. It's an amazing praise and worship time. Most probably we won't be singing a song quite like that this morning, I'd imagine. Because it just declares truth that's just insane. But in the midst of it, it says some, you know, something like this. That God is my strength and my song. When you're stressed, what it can lead you to do is thinking, I can't go on. It's why one of the first reactions to people getting stressed is they struggle to eat, they struggle to get out of bed, or they take the flip side and they, they comfort eat and eat as much chocolate as possible and drink as much red wine as possible. It's because they're essentially saying the both, both the same thing. I can't do this, I can't go on. And we have to remind ourselves of truth. I really need to click on because I'm running out of time. I apologize in advance. Because we've got to think theologically. When you're in the midst of a battle, what happens is truth that you've laid into your life already can be pulled upon and reminded yourself of. And then we stand on that truth. See, that's what Jesus did. He went and talked to his father. He reminded himself of the fact that he's the one who sent me. He's the one that's got the plan. Next one is this, trust. Trust. I want to tell you, dealing with stress is one of the hardest things you'll ever have to face up to. Because at some point, you have to reach a place, if you really want to lay it down and know peace, that you just have to trust him. Here is Jesus, knowing what's coming, as he has done his whole life, but now suddenly, it's right in his, right in his gaze. And what he has to do is trust the Father. And he says, not my will, but yours. That's a moment of extreme trust. It's a moment where you have to say, you know, whatever happens, I'm going to trust you. I can think of one of the most stressful things, it's not to do with work, but it, it's stressful, um, was uh, about three years ago, my, my dad died suddenly. He had a massive heart attack. We'd been with him the day before. He was as healthy as could be. We got home. It was just before Christmas. Now I got a phone call from my mum to say, your dad's had a massive heart attack. I need you here. By the time I'd literally got about three miles up the road, I had another phone call to say, he's gone. At that moment, my instant response is, as far as I know, my dad's not saved. My mum's not saved. None of my family is saved. What's going on here? I remember being stood in the mortuary looking at my dad and just saying to Jesus, 
What are you doing? What's going on? Do you know the answer he gave me? Trust me. Do you think it's easy at that moment to trust him? I have to tell you, no, it's not, because everything in me, literally, because I was praying as I went in, I actually said, Jesus, if you want to resurrect him, I'm prepared to pray for him right here. He just says, trust me. That's my dad, who I'm not sure where he's going to be eternally. I have no idea. That could stress me every day of the year. But you know, he says, just trust me. Guys, when we hit stress, when we hit problems at work, at home, with our children, we're in any situation, we have to reach a place where we trust him. It's not easy. I don't say this because it's easy and it's glib. I say it's because it's the truth and it will help you. Trust is not saying, Jesus, I trust you, however. That's not trust. Emma and I used to have a problem when we were first married in the fact that we'd have a, a, a discussion on something and um, her, her response was always, yeah, yeah, I agree with you, but... And I had to eventually say to her, you know, every time you say but, you mean I don't agree with you. Now, that's not because I want her to agree with me, actually. It's that I want her to understand that when I say things, I'm okay with a disagreement, but there comes a point where we have to reach agreement. And that's the same with God. You have to reach a place where you trust him. Proverbs 3, verses 5 to 6 are M's favorite verses in the Bible. It says, Trust in the Lord of all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make, your, he will make straight your paths. See, trust in him. If you're facing stress at the moment, do you know the thing he's asking you to do? Pray, think right, and trust him. Trust him. Next thing is this. Receive afresh. The thing that is... The weird part of this story, which has always struck me and hit me afresh, was this. The angels come and minister to Jesus. Have you ever thought about that? What, what's going on there? Why is that happening? What I want to say is this. Jesus is modeling, even there, what it means for us to receive afresh externally. Guys, you don't have everything you need to face every battle inside you. It doesn't matter how good a Christian you are, how super filled with, with amazing joy you are. There can be moments when you need to receive afresh. For Jesus, it was from the angels, and I'm, I'm convinced from the Father, because the way he says, not my will but yours, I'm sure the Father said, come on Jesus, you know, you know the answer. You know. But for us, we're ministered to by the Holy Spirit. See, all these other things are great, but the reality is when we're struggling, he wants to come and minister to us. Just a few things I want to say to you as I draw to a close, because I really do need to draw to a close. He ministers peace to us. One of the things, the gift, one of the fruits of the Spirit that's displayed is peace. This is this in Philippians 4. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. 
and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That's what is it? When you're stressed, come to him with prayer. As you trust him, what's going to happen? The peace of God will come flooding into your life. peace of God. We get strength, we get faith. We receive from him as we come. See, Jesus shows us that. Isaiah 40 says this. Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings out the host by number, calling them all by name, by greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by by my God? Have you not heard? Have you not heard? Have you not, not known? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth, He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no more might, he increases strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. The passage is saying, why are you saying that? Why are you saying my way is hidden hidden from God? And the voice is saying, where are you, God? And he reminds them, just come to me. I'm the one who does not grow faint, does not grow weary. And then you'll receive strength. You'll rise up on wings like eagles. You'll receive what you need. Guys, when you're stressed, you feel low, you feel down. When you're under pressure, you can feel like this is how it's always going to be. But the reality is, as Christians, yes, it's okay to feel stress. But if we just stay there saying, I'm allowed to be stressed, we're missing out on the wonderful things that he has for us. The peace of God, the joy of the Lord, the wonderful strength that he wants to give us, the wonderful bouncing into life that he wants to give us. I'm now taking the hint as the kids are coming back in, we're finishing. It's okay. I was drawing to a close. Guys, I want to ask you, if you're stressed this morning, will you come to him, giving him your supplications, giving him your prayers, thinking rightly about who he is and how small your problems are really. I'm not belittling them, guys. But in light of him, how small they are. Trusting him to come and meet you afresh this morning. You see, I could have given you lots of handy tips about going to the gym, exercising, doing this, doing that. Do you know the reality is, one, you'd have gone, Scott, you don't even follow those tips. Stop being stupid. The other thing you would have said is, I need more Jesus. There's a story, which I, this is going to be my final story, okay? You may have heard of a chap called John Piper. John Piper talks about when he preached from Isaiah 6 for the first time in Bethlehem Baptist. He preached an amazing sermon. You must download it. It will bless you enormously. And throughout the sermon, he made not one application point. He was profoundly unpacking God, talking about the resplendence of God, how majestic he was. And he made no application point at any point that would help you in any time of trouble. 
At the end of the preachers, the Baptist ministers always do, they wait by the door. I feel sorry for him because he had like about 6,000 people he had to say goodbye to. But suddenly a woman who walks past says, thank you so, so, so much for that preach this morning. He's like, but I didn't give you anything to help you. And he found out that her son had died during the week. She was facing enormous anxiety and stress. And what he said he learned from that was the fact that when people are stressed, when people are facing opportunities, do you know what they need to see more than anything? The bigness of God and the majesty of God. You see, when we see that, everything else falls into its right perspective. When we're worried about our children and we're stressed about our children, do you know what? When we remember that he is the father of the fatherless and he is the father who loves us more profoundly than we could ever love our children, do you know what? We suddenly realize we're okay. When we're facing stress at work, we suddenly remember he's one who's faced greater stress than we will ever understand. He understands what we're going through and he prays for us. Do you know what happens is we suddenly realize, do you know, it's going to be okay. Whatever we're going through will be okay. And so my encouragement to you is come and receive from him. Come and give yourself afresh to him and receive everything you need for today, for tomorrow, for 20 years when your child becomes that crazy child who you dread them being, but you'll get the grace to be everything you need to be at that point. Our children have reached that age of five and six. Yes, it's okay. But he's here. He loves you. We're going to worship together, I think, as I'm over.